Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've, uh, you're on the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I have a wonderful, wonderful guest today. Um, great background, uh, former military, uh, former model, uh, is several, several degrees from many universities. Uh, he is going to be joining a bodybuilding tour and he's a fitness trainer, a personal instructor. And uh, he's beginning this wonderful business in fitness. So welcome, Terrence John. How are you doing today? Hey, good. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to what we're going to do today, actually. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to start off by saying, tell me a little bit about yourself a little bit, and then we're going to we're going to get we'll get going. Huh. So um, I try to make this this part brief. But uh, as he mentioned, I'm I'm a former Air Guards member. Um, so Air Force veteran, still very much involved in the veteran community where I train a lot of veterans. I'm currently a government contractor, um, just actually recently finished a, a master of business program at the University of Southern California that's specifically geared towards military veterans and active, transitioning active duty service members. Uh, so basically what I do is if I'm not doing my government contracting job, I'm training or bodybuilding. So that's pretty much my life, which keeps me extremely busy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know you. It's, I, I've been asking you to go on this podcast for a while, but you had so much going on. I'm surprised that you even have time today to do this. So I appreciate you. Um, so, you know what? I'm going to start off by just saying, and uh, you know what? Uh, tell, you know, where, where were you born and raised? And, uh, you know, what was your childhood like? Uh, I'm a Southern boy. I'm originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee, born and raised. Um, absolutely. And now that I'm older, I appreciate my humble background. My family is a huge, large family. My mom had, she was very directing in a sense that, you know, she pretty much took a lot of time with me and my sister. She raised both me and my sister. We, she was very stern on our talking about our environment she knew that we didn't have the best environment and she knew how to so if I had a bad grade she will say things like well grades like this will have you continue to be in this type of situation and we'll continue to live the way we live if that's okay with you then continue to make the grades that you're making so she knew that that was enough to get me to level up <laughs> because I did not like the environment itself she exposed us to a lot of different things however because of our environment in our circumstances, financially, even mentally, we were not able to, we were limited. So um, that's pretty much, you know, I moved away when I turned 18, really 17, went to, uh, graduated a little early, went to college in, for a year and then joined the military right after that uh, and did six years in the military. And I, it just seems like it's been ongoing since then. So I've done a lot of different things, modeling, like you said, that bodybuilder, uh, but I've always trained. So what? So let me ask you this: You you said something about your um, your childhood. You said it was a little difficult. What was difficult about it? Was it what was your was your financial situation where you lived, or what specifically was the difficult part for you? And you had to overcome that. So tell me a little bit about that. So again, I grew up with a single mom, um, and she did the best that she could to raise us. But my mom was really young when she had us. And so we make a joke that we all grew up together. With that said, financially, we were poor. 
mentally, we were poor. Emotionally, we were poor. Unfortunately, we didn't know anything outside of that. You know, she tried, now she tried to expose us to a lot of things that she did uh, as much as she could. But again, because not only our, you know, our financial situation limited us, our mental, because <laughs> poverty is not just a financial thing. It, that's the tangible part of it. But also there's a, men, a mental a mindset that comes along with poverty if you've been raised like we were. So with that said, it was extremely difficult until I moved away. I moved to school. I was able to get in the Air Force. I went to college. My family didn't go to college. And one thing I want to highlight, I like to give a shout out to my mom. We're very close. I hated school, never liked it, even to this day. I know a lot of people may think differently because I have a lot of degrees, but in order for her to get me in school, she she knew I was competitive. And she told me, if you go get a degree, I will enroll in school. And I thought she was joking, she wasn't. So when I applied to school, she applied to school. So we did our undergrads, not at the same, not at the same school, but we did our undergrads together as well as my, our first graduate degrees together. So, yeah. That, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, an, that's, an amazing, that's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. So basically she, she turned this and she kind of basically framed it in a way to inspire you to go to school because she knew you were so competitive. She said, you know what? I'll do this if you do this with me. So you kind of went on that journey together. With together, um, who were who were your role models growing up? You were, you know, I know that you said you were in a difficult situation. Did you, you know, where did you find your role models? Did you have role models um, that inspired you when you left high school to join the military? So role models, it's kind of weird when people say roles growing up. Yes, we had our TV and celebrity figures and things like that, but no one was the, was bigger, that had a bigger influence in me than my mom. And I say that because, yes, you had the crazy, you know, my family, unfortunately, was, you know, again, we were poor, angry people. My family is also violent, just being honest. Um, we grew up thinking that was the way of life. With that said, it wasn't many of my family members around me that I could say that I truly looked up to and like, oh, I want to be like, and you know, if family members are listening, I hope it doesn't offend you, but I'm just being honest and speaking objectively. I didn't have that. Again, we had the celebrity role models. I mean, I love people that was on TV. I love sports. I, you know, fell in love with boxing and all that stuff, but no one was a bigger influence on me, had a bigger influence on me than my mom. So I, I, I would say I, she was my role model. <laughs> and what qualities do you think your mom had that inspired you? Like when you look back on this and you say, what qualities does, did she have um, that gave you your drive? Oh, yeah, I, I recognize it to this day every day. Um, she's based on you start something, you finish it. You persevere. You don't you live up to your word. You don't say your yes need to be yes. You'll know needs to be no and then that's what you mean you shouldn't make a lot of promises because your yes should be yes and no should be no so her thing was she's really big on perseverance also discipline so her thing with me was being very disciplined and i actually did very well in the military didn't know at the time that i was doing so great in the military but i have a great military record and things like that and in school it was more so a 
But when I think about it, yes, the military and all that stuff honed it and, you know, nurtured it a little bit. But my mom created that. She started that with me. So discipline, I would say, number one. And it helps me out in bodybuilding and to this day and things like that. So, yeah. So so right. when um, when you were 18, when you were in high school, uh, you went directly to the military and then went to went to university after. And can you tell me about your you know, what made you join the military and your kind of your journey in the military and then how you went on to university? Well, so actually I graduated a little early. So I graduated at 17 and I couldn't join the military then for whatever reason. So I went to, I did a year in school before I joined the military. I didn't join the military until I was 18. So um, I originally got into the military because I wanted to help pay for school. Um, I didn't, I would be honest, I didn't at the time didn't have this strong patriotic, you know, loving desire to serve my country. I didn't have that at the time. They nurtured that once I got in. And now granted, I joined the military in July, 2001, and we all know what happened in September of 2001. So the patriotism had to come quickly. And, you know, a lot of people fell out of the military when even because it scared them a lot. But if you just came in again for just paying for school or just having extra money, if you didn't hone something else or own something else, you were going to fall by the wayside or, or didn't do well or just got kicked out. So with that said, the military, uh, you know, I joined the military. Uh, right. It did years active because I joined Air Guard, but I did uh, some a lot of active time. Took me a long time to finish my first undergrad because I kept getting pulled out of school, you know, being deployed and mobilized and things like that. But I will say that I wouldn't trade my time in the Air Force for anything. I think it was a continuation of what my mom's teaching was. So, yeah. So what was your experience like when you were in the Air Force? What kind of what kind of lessons did it teach you? Like you said, it built it, it, it built it built on what your mom taught you. What kind of lessons did you learn from that life lessons? Well, I will say this one thing that stood out the most, and this is kind of a, a sensitive topic, is I grew up in Tennessee, in Chattanooga, and where we were was predominantly black. Everything was black. Uh, we all know how the South is, even to this day. Um, and it was a lot like that. Going to the Air Force, where it wasn't a lot of people that looked like me, um, and they let me know because apparently I had a strong Southern draw too, because it's because they would call me country. And I didn't know that. And I knew, I'm gonna tell you how bad it was. So I did my basic training at Lackland, uh, you know, the, where everybody, every enlisted uh, airman does their basic training, but it wasn't until I got deployed <laughs> and mobilized to Shaw Air Force Base in Sumter, South Carolina, where people literally some people said it in Texas, but it was South Carolina where the, you know, I would say senior enlisted people will call me in the office just to hear me speak. And they say, boy, talk. <laughs> and that's when I realized that I must really have a Southern draw, a strong Southern draw of people in South Carolina are telling me I'm country. So that was, one of the <laughs> that was one of the big things, but also it's more so a brotherhood. It doesn't matter what color nationality or anything you are in the military y'all are in this together i it, it, it took a minute for me to get it but i understand why they want you to walk the same talk the same and things like that because you are the same and so that was one of the things that i think that 
the military taught me, you know, not just about race, it was just more so of the brotherhood or, you know, the sisterhood or whatever it is. And the, the whole family content or orientation that they, that the military um, gave me in a sense. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, okay. so let me ask you this. Um, can you tell me more about like, your, what did you do in the military? Like, give me an idea of what you do in the military. Oh, yeah. So I was a supply journeyman, uh, basically with supply. Anybody knows supply, you can do a lot of things. You work in finances, you work in shipping, receiving, logistics, all of that stuff. At the time, and I can tell you what we did when I got deployed to South Carolina, this was during um, Operation Enduring Freedom. So Operation Enduring Freedom, the Afghan, was when we first got to Afghanistan, right? We were building bases and, you know, benchmarks in Afghan. A lot of the, the materials and everything that we needed to ship automatically, I mean, immediately came from Shaw Air Force Base with CENTAF and all that central, it was the centralized Air Force, all of that stuff. So it was a lot of 16 hour days of packing stuff up, you know, <laughs> uh, or receiving things, literally doing inventory. So with that said, as a junior enlisted person, that's pretty much what I did. I did work a lot in finances and things like that. And I was an econ major at the time. So, you know, that helped a lot. Uh, however, military, we all know that government finance is a lot different from civilian finance. So I can't say that I got to that, but just feeling like this, it was a lot of long hour work days of moving stuff and, and lifting and putting stuff down so it was right up my alley because i enjoyed it and i know i know you you promoted a lot in the air force they they didn't want you to you know anytime you wanted to leave they said please don't leave stay right they did even though i only did one of so in the air guard you got it's at the time it was automatically a six-year enlisted uh enlistment uh contract and i did that and they did not want me to go they were quite upset with me when I decided to leave. But the thing about it is in order for me to spread my wings and move far away, because I was in Tennessee Air National Guard, I couldn't go far, no further than Atlanta. So I wouldn't have been able, I would have had to switch units or either go active. And I wasn't wanting to go active. I was graduating school, you know, at the end of my enlisted. So I decided to, you know, end it there. And then, and then you went, I know you got, uh, several several degrees. So, what what university did you go to, and what did you end up studying in university? So, I started off at Middle Tennessee State, and again, that's when I got out of high school. Um, and then I went to a community college right after that, and then joined the military. Um, did I actually graduated from Georgia State in Atlanta, uh, and I ended up doing two bachelors. So, one is in managerial science. Uh, with a concentration on entrepreneurship and that came with a graduate certificate in entrepreneurship and things like that um, and i also did an, a business economics degree as well and i was at the time i started working in banks and doing accounting and all that stuff so yeah i'm the weird guy that does accounting at banks <laughs> and then and then after you, um and then tell me where that is this very interesting tell me where your modeling career started i know you you were you were a model for for many years and you got picked up by uh, a major modeling agency uh so what molly well you don't have to even name the modeling agency that's not important to me but how long were you modeling for and uh, what what kind of uh, experience did you have with that 
So I model part-time. It was never a full-time gig, but I model part-time for continuously about eight or nine years. And how that story happened was me working at the bank, believe it or not. <laughs> so I worked really late at the bank and I had, uh, at the time, I, I don't know what it was about my teeth. I have really big teeth. Um, I had just got my retainers off. And for some reason, people in Atlanta would say, talk about my teeth all the time. They would ask me where they, cause veneers at the time was, we had veneers, but it wasn't as popular as they are today. So people asked me if my teeth reeled and all that stuff. And I remember one guy, weird, cause I was a manager at a bank and he just kept staring and I'm like, dude, <laughs> what? Yeah. And so it was the, towards the end of the night. So I can't say that I had the best attitude when I approached him because one of my tellers were um, actually um, actually servicing him. But he just asked me, have you ever thought about modeling? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I kind of like, I'm never not really a rude person, but you, I have strong energy. So if I'm not feeling you, you get it. You know, lo and behold, he left his card. I took it put it in my wallet because right now I have a thousand cards in my wallet Took it home, threw it away. I oh, I threw it somewhere. Six months later, I'm moving and I'm packing stuff up and, you know, you're just going through stuff, throwing the cards. And I remember seeing his card and I saw, and I went on his website right then and there. And this dude had, he, he was from LA. He didn't even live in Atlanta. He shot Kobe Bryant. He's doing like all this Vogue stuff or like Jada Pickett and all this stuff. And I was literally so shocked. I'm like, he thought I should model. So I called like the next day and he happened to be coming back to Atlanta the next week or so. And he said, come by the studio. And I don't even know what studio it was, but I went by to make a long story short. He made me shoot right then and there. And I didn't, I thought I was just coming by and he made me shoot right then and there. And I'm not lying. We sent my pictures to agencies the next I think of the following business day or whatever that Monday was. And I was signed by the end of the week. Wow. And then, and what, um, it sounds like you did all kinds of modeling and they sent you all over the world and you did, um, some major cover, uh, you're a cover model for some magazines and how was your experience modeling? Uh, did you enjoy that experience and you were going to, were you going to college at the time? Yeah. So I was in school. I enjoyed it. I never let it get to me, though. Like, I never set, set out to be a model um, because I felt like and a lot of people didn't even know I did it. Some people will find out and they will see things and they're like, oh, my God, is this you? And I'm like, yeah. And they didn't know. But places like L.A., Atlanta, everybody's a model. Everybody's an actor. So I just thought it was, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was just lame to go around. It's like, oh, I'm a model. I always thought that was so lame. So you would never hear me say that. Oh, even though I was doing it and getting paid and I was signed by a major agency, but it was just really weird. I would say even to this day, some of the things that I've done over 10 years ago was still stream or show up places. I'm like, dang, you know, and it, you know, that still blows my mind that I did that, but it was good. good. I never, like I said, I never sought out to, I never let it get to me. Um, and I never felt like I was just a model on a regular Wednesday. <laughs> And and were you were were you into fitness then? What what kind of began this whole passion for fitness? When did that start? Did that start when you were younger, or did you play sports, or what started that? What got that going for you? 
so I played sports, I boxed, I played, I did football and things like that. The love and the passion didn't come until my sister got me a trainer on my 21st birthday. Now, granted, I'd already been in the military, but it's Air Force. It's not very taxing. You know, we can, you, I hate to say it. I mean, it was a lot of where you can like skip the, the actual PRT run and still make time. Uh, but it was that my sister got me a trainer on my 21st birthday. And I, to this day, I keep in touch with him. I had a 30 minute session, 20 of the 30, 20 minutes of the 30 minutes, I was on the floor. I, you know, almost threw up. I couldn't do it. And it was crazy. With that said, I hated that. I felt it was a, a city gym. It was actually in Chattanooga, a city gym. And I was embarrassed. <laughs> so what happened was the next day I came harder, came harder, and I realized I actually like this. <laughs> so I just kept, I stayed with it and things like that. And I didn't know it was my passion at the time, but yeah, when I look back and like, it's always been my passion. <laughs> so it was, so you were studying, um, you were studying fitness and nutrition and everything else yet. You weren't really like super fit yourself. And then, so what did, did you, what made your sister, get you the trainer did she say hey, i'm gonna make him work out or what what got that going for you well i mentioned it that i wanted because everybody's talking about this trainer but i was also really thin i always had muscle but i was i was really thin at the time now granted i wasn't studying fitness i didn't start studying actually acad academically until fitness until years later but i was always active and in my family they don't exercise so being active you had to find some way to be active and exercise never came to our mind like oh you can do this <laughs> but um she decided to do it because my sisters also I, I call her and my mom my parents uh because my mom worked a lot and my sister it was a lot of times my sister had to watch me so she'll tell you that she raised me as well but she got me a, a trainer and again she also told me that i had to take my butt back even though I wasn't feeling it because the first day I kind of bombed and she was like, I don't care for it already. You're going to go back. And that's how that pretty much started. <laughs> and did that, did that help your modeling career? Like when you were working out that much, did you say, did they say, Hey, you need to start working out or did they, did they even mention that? Was it even an issue for them? So by the time I started modeling, I was well into fitness. So I've always walked around with pretty chiseled body and things like that. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I mean, it's always been important for me to look nice, but that was never a reason why I got in the gym. So, you know, I, th I look at it even to this day, people give you compliments about the way you look. I translated that, tra translate to that to, they're complimenting me on my hard work. <laughs> so when back then I was already walking around again with a chiseled body and things like that. Um, and so it just, it did help, but I was already, well into fitness before I started modeling. And, th and then you came out to, um, you decided to go to grad school. And uh, yeah. what made you decide to go to grad school? And then you can kind of, uh, yeah, what made you decide to get your first graduate degree? And then, and then eventually, uh, what did you do after that? And then you moved on to uh, Los Angeles. And we can talk about that a little bit too. And um, what made you decide on your major, your first graduate program? Um, so, um, when I finished school and I got out of the military, I didn't pay attention to what was my surroundings, what was going on in society, but it was during the global financial crisis. And so 
I got laid off from my job. And what kept me from being hungry is that people around Atlanta knew that I worked out a lot. So they would ask me to train them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I went and got a certification and all that stuff. And like, yeah, I'd do it, but I didn't take it seriously until um, actually, believe it or not, one of my ex-girlfriends made a, she had made a suggestion. Why don't you go back to school? I'm like, no, I don't like school. And she's like, but they have, Georgia State has a really good exercise science program, physiology program. So I haphazardly signed, uh, registered and actually applied to kinesiology grad school. Didn't think I'd get in because I didn't have the prerequisites and all that stuff, but I did really well on the uh, GRE and I got accepted. And that's how you, even though I had already been training and into fitness and things like that, that's how I got into doing it professionally is actually getting into grad school. And I became a graduate assistant, graduate assistant. And that's how I started working with people with various mental illnesses and things like that. So that's how my, that part started. Okay. So, Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I didn't realize. So you started to work with, um, you're saying mental illness, but I also know that you were working with people with disabilities. Is that how that started in grad school as well? Yeah, so I actually started before working with people with physical disabilities or physical ailments. Um, I started working with people that were medically controlled but had mild uh, mental illnesses. And they you can be around the school, whether it was employees, blah, 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 that, that actually disclosed that they had mental illnesses. And also they did studies with some of the students that had gastric bypass surgeries. So I was able to work with those people. And I have a funny story and I say it quickly, but I worked in that recreational center at the campus recreational center when I was an undergrad. So I had the same boss several years later as a graduate uh, assistant. She kept putting people, those people with me that had the mental illness. I'll be honest with you, it was mainly people with autism and autism of autism. And I'm not going to lie, I did not like those sessions when I first started. I absolutely hated them. Oh, and I tell you this because I asked her, it was six graduate assistants, graduate assistants. And I asked her, I said, hey, why do you tend to put those people with me? Can we spread some of this? And she said, no. She said, I sit them with you. I put them, I placed them with you for a reason. And she made a comment that I thought was really funny. I didn't think it was funny at the time, but I think it's funny now. I'm never going to forget it. She said, you have the patience of Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus wouldn't be in your office telling you he hate these sessions if I, <laughs> mm -hmm. if I had the patience of Jesus. But she wouldn't let up. And she kept sending those people with me. And I ended up, I didn't hate it as much towards the end of my graduate assistantship. But at the same time, I can't say that I fell in love with it. It was until I graduated and got my first job in DC at a, um, it was an outpatient clinic for people that had persistent, severe persistent mental illnesses. And that's how I ended up falling in love with working with these type of people. And those people had every disability, physical disability, not along with their mental illnesses or uh, behavioral illness, illnesses. They had every physical ailment that you can think of. So I had to learn really quick and get some hands-on experience with these people. So so you, you developed a real appreciation for um, working with that population. And what do you think you learned from that? That, I mean, when you, when you look back on this in retrospect, what do you think you learned from that 
and that experience. Well, what I mean, it puts a lot of things into perspective. I'm seeing these people that, first of all, to get the general population, just just general healthy population to work out is like pulling teeth. Let alone say the people, these people that were had these mental illnesses. A lot of times, their medication that they're prescribed, and not all the time, but a lot of times, the medication they're prescribed makes them feel like crap. So it makes them sick physically. So I'm asking these people that's never done this, that it's not all the way there, and they they feel like crap. I'm asking them to work out. <laughs> and now, it, granted, it was a day services program. A lot of people were <laughs> actually mandated to go uh, because of, you know, the, by the courts and things like that. But again, these people... A lot of these people did heinous crimes and things like that, and they were very severe, persistent illnesses. So I will say this. When I started training them, they threatened my life a lot. <laughs> they threatened my life a lot. But a lot of it, what I did learn was because of their actions and their whole life, they were so used to people giving up on them and society and things like that. Granted, it was my job, so I couldn't give up on my job because it'd be like giving up on myself. But one of the things I learned, those people were a lot like the people in my family. So they persevered every single day. And I think about, I thought about it this morning. Now, my gym, I lift heavy this morning. I'm healthy. I have very, you know, all my glycogen storages are filled and all that stuff. But I still did not feel like going. And I wanted to stay in the bed. But I think about those people. And, you know, and I still train a lot of these people. They push through every day and they were, and they are the real superheroes. So anybody that know me, I'm a superhero fan. They're actually a real superhero. So in a nutshell, I learned more so about persevering through things because I'm seeing these people that in a lot of ways worse physically than I am and they're persevering and smiling. And, and they're working out every day and hitting the gym and it, it, it inspires us to hit the gym and we don't feel like going to the gym and, you have people that have to deal with so many physical issues and so much going on in their personal lives, but they, they, they know that the, the importance of, of going out there and getting exercise and taking care of yourself. And, um, yeah, that, that's, that's an amazing story. And, and then how did you end up coming to LA? I, I know you have a very interesting story. And, uh, when you first came out to LA several years ago, and I know you went through some hardships with that and, um, what, what made you decide and take that jump from, from the East Coast to Los Angeles. So growing up, my mom, like I told you, she wanted to expose us to a lot of things. Her thing was about traveling. And she always talked about moving away from Chattanooga, always. And it was times that she will literally have us packed and all this stuff. And we're going visiting different places and playing. And we're still in Chattanooga. With that said, um, I grew up wanting to be an actor which I think is funny because I, like I said, when I became a model, I was like, oh, it's, I'm doing this versus I want to be an I wanted to be an actor when I was younger. So LA is always, I've been California dreaming since a kid. Um, everybody that know me from a child, I've written it in books and signages and all that stuff. However, because I was modeling, I actually did some TV work and I realized I like it. <laughs> But I would still come out and visit California because I also do jobs out here and things like that. Um, I always wanted to move to California and I made a joke 
that if I hadn't moved by the time I was 35, that I was going to stop what I was doing and drop everything and move. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so you dropped everything and moved. That's exactly what happened. So tell me how that transition was when you first made it to LA. Did you have a job? Did you have anything set up? Nope. So when I moved, it was one of those things that I knew and I still believe this. I knew I had to move. I think I know for a fact I was moved by the spirit like that. But you I'm talking about this has been a really hard but rewarding faith walk. So I just basically moved, had a little savings. But we know L.A., if you don't if you're not with money and things like that, that's just going to wash up in a couple depending on how much you got a couple months. And it did. Um, did I got a job when I got out here, but it was a very low paying job and I was barely making it and I still had bills and things like that. Um, so I experienced all the things that someone would do that will move to, a, to an expensive place like LA. <laughs> I hit the ground and I would like to say I hit running off the ground flat. I was homeless. <laughs> So I ended up being homeless for a month with me and my, at the time he was 85 pounds, 85 pound uh, chocolate lab pit bull in a very small car. Uh, and so a lot of the nights I got to stay, some nights I got to stay in uh, hotels and Airbnbs, but a lot of times we were in the car. Uh, with that, that was an experience within itself because yes, I could have went home. I could have went back to DC because I actually moved here from DC. Um, I could have went back to DC. I could have went to Chattanooga. I could have went back to Atlanta. But no, I moved out of here and I knew that even though it was one of the scariest times that I've gone through, it wasn't the worst thing that I realized it actually wasn't the worst thing. And I knew that God had me the whole time. So that's what kept me from moving and kept me going and things like that. And I know you took a leap of faith. And then when you did that, you went on and you got a job in Los Angeles and then you started another graduate program. And what did you decide to do? And um, you know, I'm glad to say that I know you're not homeless now. You actually live in a very nice apartment. So, um, but, and that's part of the story about the journey of, you know, how you took that leap of faith and, um, now you have a good business and, and you're doing very well. And, um, what was that journey like for you? You went to, you went on to uh, graduate school and, uh, what, what, what major did you choose and what made you do that? Well, I was working at USC at the time and, I was facilitating, well, yeah, I was orchestrating and facilitating a personal training prep course, personal training certification prep course. I had someone else, one of my coworkers was teaching it, but one of the, I say higher ups in the Marshall School of Business took the, the course. I didn't know that she, who she was, but I'm always a nice person, things like that. I typically go by the name Juwan. Most people call me Juwan. However, I had applied to the part-time MBA program, was getting accepted into that program. She, apparently my name came across her desk. And on the last day, I decided the last day of the actual prep course for the personal training prep, uh, certification prep course, I decided to go to make sure they were good, give them my information, because again, my coworker was teaching it, but I decided to go give them my information if you need anything, give them tips and things like that to pass the test, all that stuff. She walks up to me and she goes, may I ask you a question? I could say, yes. She said, is your name Terrence? I said, I am, you know, Terrence. And she said, you're a veteran, right? And I'm like, 
who is this lady? <laughs> and then she finally introduced who she herself to who she was and all that stuff. And she told me in a nutshell to not do <laughs> the part-time MBA program. She said, we have a, a, an actual master of business program specifically for military veterans and transitioning active duty servicemen, men and women that is only an academic school year. This only one year is accelerated and all that stuff. And I, that kind of got my wheels churning and things like that. And that's, and I decided to make a long story short, I decided to apply and I got accepted into that program. So it's called MBV instead of MBA. It's called MB, MBV, Master of Business for Veterans. And so, yes, I'm a Trojan. And that's yeah, my and second. I know, <laughs> and I, I know it was a very difficult program. And I know that it was probably felt longer than a year. Um, and I know that you got, um, you know, scholarships and so forth and you were recruited um, when you're going through that program. And uh, that brings me kind of to, you know, how did, what made you, um, what made you think about starting your own fitness business? And uh, I know you had, you're working on apps and you have a, a million different things going on right now. Um, what made you decide to start a fitness business? And I know at, 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 while you were actually working at, at, at USC. So I've already had a fitness business. I had one in Virginia. Uh, well, uh, in Alexandria, but I wasn't doing anything with it when I first moved out here. Now I would train people here and there, but one of the reasons why they hired me at USC to run their personal training program at, at all three of their recreational sports facilities was because of the, not only the education, but the experience that I had with military as well as, uh, disabled individuals and things like that. Um, I really wanted to continue to work with that population. Now I've been blessed to work a lot with various populations, but it was the students that I noticed the, the disabled students that came into the recreational sports facilities that couldn't do personal training or they just didn't feel included or independent enough to go work out on their own on, on their own on the fitness floor. Now, granted, my trainers, a lot of them were new. They didn't have a lot of experience and they didn't feel comfortable, but I did. And I, even though it was, it wasn't my job to train because I managed the program, but I would take on those students and they didn't pay. <laughs> so you how other and the reason why I was able to justify that is because I used them as training for my trainers and things like that uh, so they can, you know, get in there and they can train and feel included, because that's what I've learned a lot about that population is that a lot of people walk on eggshells around them and I'm like, they're a lot stronger than we are and they want to be included and feel independent and things like that so i could i actually started a sole proprietorship here and eventually did an llc and again i work with a lot of different populations but primarily i work with people with various disabilities whether it's physical or mental or they just had like extensive surgeries like gastric bypass yeah i know uh, you, you used to talk about how it made you feel good and you you actually volunteered at your lunchtime and on breaks to help um, some of the students that had disabilities, and you you had really really good friendships with them, and and you never you never wanted anything from them. You just wanted to help them work out, and they really depended on you, and uh, and they continue to be your friends today. I know that, and I I, I always yeah. think about you also started another program that I really like there. I know it might have existed before, but I know that you were in charge of it. Is you brought pets on campus for students to uh, to 
to students that didn't no longer had their dogs around, they were missing their animals. And you, you also brought in dogs from all over the area so that uh, students could spend some time um, with some animals that they were missing in their, their lives because they were on campus and didn't have that anymore. Is that correct? Oh yeah. So they had a therapeutic dog program at USC. However, it didn't belong to recreational sports. It belonged to another department However, with a lot of things, a lot of departments got switched around, a lot of jobs. I ended up with that lottery ticket. As much as I love dogs, because I have one, mm -hmm. and he's my best friend, I can't say I love that program. And <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the program itself. It was just more so added responsibilities that I didn't have any time for. However, I had to make time for. So basically, every one one day a week, we would post these events. Uh, and in order to get an event, to have an event at USC, you have to go through a lot of paperwork and red tape. So this was every week, every week. And I didn't have the manpower. So a lot of times I was doing a lot of this stuff myself, putting up tents, seats, you know, and literally paying some of my personal trainers to be out there and assist. But the program was, like he said, was for, we had an a, a outside contractor that would bring, um, ladies or anyone with dogs and sometime a cat, sometimes a cat but not many cats came out there because the dogs didn't like it um <laughs> and they were and the students had a couple hours to pet sit play talk with the volunteers and you know and just basically play with dogs because like you said a lot of people had dogs in their hometowns and they were away from their they were away at school, so this is as close to an actual dog that they can get, and they will come see the same dog every week. So, and and Good that's program. kind of and it, yeah, and it's kind of, but it's also kind of fits into the whole mental health and physical well being and health, and that's what I appreciate about you. And 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 it kind of gets me to this: is um, how did you manage? And I and I saw you, what you were doing. How did you manage a full time job, a full time graduate program? Um, training people, uh, you know, on your spare time for free, many of them, um, training yourself because you wanted to be, you want to be a bodybuilder and that's what you're doing now. Uh, how did you balance all that? And what kind of tips would you give people to do something like that? So as much as I've always had a, wear many hats and have a lot of things on my plate. And that was, I had to do now, I believe that if you can concentrate and become great at one or two things, definitely do that. But because I was going up, you know, doing an uphill battle, fighting an uphill battle again, I still, even though I'm doing very well now, I still feel like I'm trying to catch up from, you know, being homeless and all that stuff. So with that said, I had to do that. So that was my thing. And I, and I, I believe Tony Robbins said this. We people don't do what they should. They do what they must. So what you saw me doing, I I must did that. I I didn't have any other choice. It wasn't fun all the time, and you saw that. Now, granted, I'm a smiling person. I'm always have energy for the most part. But you've seen days that I've been. It, it just knocks me right down, flat on my face. And that not only makes sense because I had so much going on. So I would tell someone that if they are doing that and they have to do that, do know that it's temporary. 
And it, even though, you know, you may not see progress every day, just know that you're making progress. Every single action, everything you're doing, everything you say, and everything you say to yourself, and I wish somebody told me that then because I would speak negative things to myself, all that stuff helps with the pro, with your pro, it's part of your process and it helps with your progress. So if you have to do that, do it, try to stay in good spirits because it's, that's only temporary. And you you recently won uh, a bodybuilding uh, champ uh, a bodybuilding championship uh, in Venice Beach. Um, mm. Your training your training is going very very well, um, and you have your personal business and you actually have a, you have another job as well. Um, what is your uh, how do you stay so focused and so passionate about you know making your fitness goals and uh, and and your dieting and so forth? How do you do that? If you can give people tips on what you do to stay motivated and how, how long do you typically work out per day? So I don't always stay motivated. Currently not motivated now, to be honest with you. This morning was a struggle. Motivation is great. And anybody on my social media have probably heard me say this before because people, they actually commend me on the motivation that I provide. But I want people to know that motivation is great, but however, it's not needed. Again, I mentioned my mom and she had a very disciplined, stern hand and she taught me discipline. That is going to always be your friend. We talk about lifestyle changes. I'll give you an example. This morning, because I wake up at 4, 4.45, it, it, one of those times each day, I would have I woke, woken up anyway. I did not feel like going to the gym. Today is a heavy day. I didn't feel like doing any of it. But the alternative of doing that would have been worse. That's how you want to make your life. <laughs> Where your only choice is to keep going. So that is how I, in a nutshell, I stay motivated. But even like now, I'm not motivated. It's the discipline of going and just do it. My alternative of me not going would have been worse. I probably would have laid in bed, got up late, started work late, felt horrible about myself because I'm going to, you know, yes, I'm I'm not currently preparing for a show right now. My next show is actually in the spring. So in a nutshell, I am, but at the same time, I'm not on a strict diet. Had I not gone, I would have <laughs> ate something crazy and felt bad. So that's what keeps me going. I happen to love working out in the sense, even though I didn't feel like, don't feel like it all the time. So when you ask me how long do I work out, my typical morning workout is at least two hours. My typical evening workout is at least two hours. And what would you, what I, would you, what, what would you say is the optimal time for just you know somebody just just started working out and they just want to maintain their fitness level? What would you recommend um, doing? And how long would you recommend them doing that for? Uh, so I tell people to start where they are. And I got that motto from working with people with, like I said, the disabled population. Start where you are. Now, if you say, for instance, 38, 39 years old, and as many gyms are around here, you've never decided to join a gym and you never join one. I'm not going to go tell you to join a gym. However, start somewhere. Take a walk. Do one push-up because one push-up is better than none. I know that sounds crazy, crazy, but I'm going to tell you, my gastric bypass surgery recipients always appreciate me because when they come back and they get cleared to work out, we start extremely light. And they look at me. One guy just said this last week. He said, I wouldn't have believed. 
I can't believe that I am where I am now. Because right after the surgery, you had me doing all this light crap and things like that. But I've noticed progression, progression. And he loved it. He's loving the way he's looked. He loves his strength and things like that. But we started light where he was. So I tell somebody that do something. And exercise is just like anything else. People get so anxious, you know, they have so much anxiety with the word exercise. I'm like, be active then. <laughs> However you got to say it. Basketball, UFC, there's so much out there. Walking, running. LA is a beautiful weather. Hiking, walk, do something. Because we're right now is something too. And it's probably <laughs> getting you in a place or that's the reason why you're in a place that you don't want to be. So do something different. So that's my my advice to people. If you want different results, do something different. Don't go crazy. Do just start where you are. And then um, I, I had somebody. I told somebody that you were going to be on today, and she said, "Can you ask him this question?" So I'm going to ask you this question. Um, was it difficult to start? Now your your business is called Jim Dorks. Um, uh, <clears throat> was it difficult for you to start? a business uh, or have a business during COVID-19 and what were those kind of challenges and what was that like for you? You want to know what, I, and I'm glad you asked me that. I said this and I predicted this. When the gyms closed, I believe that the entity, the value of a personal trainer would actually increase. A lot of people thought differently. Everybody said, no, 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 no. They're closing the gyms. So what do people do? They started buying all this equipment online, buying it up, making the supply even crazier than it is. But think about it. Most of these people bought all this equipment for home and they don't know what to do. They go and do one or two exercises, but they don't know what to do. They're not motivated. So who would they call? Personal trainers. My business flourished during quarantine, COVID time. And that's why I, because I kind of got away from it. I graduated from USC. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go get another accounting job and things like that. But no, it was like, you moved out here to do this and to be a bodybuilder. I need it. Unfortunately, I needed what happened last year. And I want to caveat that with saying that I'm not saying that COVID-19 and this pandemic is a good thing because we lost a lot of people and it's brought a lot of sorrows. But speaking on the positive side, my business flourished and, and a lot of things increased. So... The challenge, it wasn't any challenges. It was to the point where I couldn't take people. <laughs> I literally was training like 16 to 20 people a day all over LA. Well, Metro LA. And what and, and what kind of, um, in terms of how do you stay disciplined with your diet? So I put a lot of things in place. You know yourself. Um, I like to eat. <laughs> like that. I'm a Southern boy. I like the probably the worst things, but what helps me stay disciplined is one thing is people watching me. <laughs> I preach this stuff. So you, you got to practice what you preach. I also hire a coach and yes, trainers have trainers or trainers have coaches because they do the same thing. Now I don't get trained by them. I train myself as far as, you know, physical exercise and things like that. But, you know, diet, guidance and you know meal prep and direction and that accountability because when i know i have to talk to my coach two coaches every week and they're the they're the type of coaches that pretty much train trainers they most of their you know, clientele are trainers so they talk to you in a way that 
we'll get to you in a sense. You mess up, they're gonna let you know you messed up. Um, so I put those type of things in place. Everybody don't is not are not like that. However, I do. Again, I have a, a trainer, a coach, also two people watching me. I have to practice what I preach, things like that. So that's what keeps me disciplined with my diet. So, so you suggest that if you can't, not everybody can afford a trainer. I know that. And so you suggest just maybe telling your friends to remind you, hey, you got to eat right or get get together with someone else or a group and take a walk with somebody with somebody else or, you know, just uh, to keep you focused and on, ta on task. It's just nice to have somebody there to remind you. Yeah. And uh, just think about like it be selective in that. I is I have plenty of friends. I'm not going to go to my some of my friends. I wouldn't even dare tell them because they're the worst <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, so be selective in that. But also just bring it back in. What is it that you want? A goal that you want so bad. And obviously you're thinking about your diet and exercise. So that's part of it. You want to you tell me that you will allow your dream or your goal to die because you would not step back from the table or you wouldn't go outside and take a walk and things like that. Think about it. And you're not going to feel like feel like doing this every day. And, you know, I can get in intrinsic and extrinsic motivations and things like that. But it's going to be some days just there's no motivation. However, how bad do you want whatever it is that you're trying to get? And if and that an exercise there then is is what keeping you from being there then make sure you handle that and and if somebody wants like i said i know you you can't really name your clients i know you have a lot of clients that do uh, amazing things um um if somebody would want to get a hold of you you you're at gym dorks or how would they get a hold of you so right now um i have a new ig page <laughs> so but it's still in the name of Jim Dork so it's Jim Dork's fitness and that's G-Y-M-D-O-R-K-S fitness and that's on Instagram and that's the best way to reach me right now so just send me a DM and things like that and uh, we're working on a website uh, to get it up and going by the first of the year actually the last week of December so I will have you know where you can communicate with me through uh, via the website and things like that but right now I will tell you that IG Instagram is the best way to reach me. And Juwan, let me ask you this. And this is kind of, I, I, I've, we've had this discussion. What makes you uh, do what you do? And what makes you a better trainer than a million other people out there that are doing training? <laughs> so I wouldn't say I'm a better trainer. Um, I will say that I'm a good trainer. All, and it's just like anything else. You shop for a trainer, because I actually want to do a post about shopping for trainers. You can shop for a trainer. Be selective. I tend to have mainly worked with military bodybuilders, people with disabilities. People don't think that they're very that they're related, but they are. However, if you like boot camp type style things, even though I do those, but that is not the number one thing I'm going to promote about myself. You might want to go to a boot camp person. I would say outside of the advanced education, because personal training, you can just go to get a weekend certification and call yourself a personal trainer. And a lot of people are calling themselves personal trainers even without that. But with the advanced education and the experience, I get to know who you are. My job is to find a way to motivate you. And, and that's so what it that, sounds like, a, good, a good trainer, right? A good trainer. That's exactly what their role is to find a way to motivate somebody. 
Yeah, and it's gonna be different. You're anybody, you can ask any of my clients. You won't get a one size fit all with me. And you probably won't do the same workout two days in a row. You never will, not with me. Um, so that's one of the things that I do that keeps people engaged and motivated. And that's because, and I also get feedback because feedback is gift. So they tell me, I like the fact that it's different every time, but challenging. And regardless of how I feel, you are, I may be mad at you when I come in, but I feel good when I leave. That type of stuff is good feedback. So that I would say, you know, with me working in personal training settings and even now my, myself, I've seen that. That's the difference what I've seen with me and other trainers is that I'm going to be very relentless with finding ways to motivate you. Well, you know what? Uh, we're going to wrap it up. I got to do a few more, a few things here, but I want to tell you, thank you so, so much. I got you a couple of quick rapid fire questions for you. Uh, one thing on your bucket list that you have not achieved yet. I want a vineyard. Oh, that's very, that's very interesting. And um, your guilty pleasure in terms of food. Peanut butter. Oh my God. It's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, there's certain things that I just, no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be act right. I either got to abstain from it or it's going to be crazy. <laughs> and then, and then who is the one person you'd like to meet that you've never met? And it can be for any, any time in history. Ooh, um, that is a hard one. As much as I like, I say this, as much as I am being on personal training and things like that, don't forget that I'm a finance guy. Um, so I will say I would like to meet Robert Smith. <laughs> so he, he in recently, in recent years, he was the one that donated all of that money to Morehouse. So, yes. yeah, so yes. he, he started at Goldman Sachs. I just finished at Goldman Sachs. Um, so, you know, people, someone like that, I would love to meet because he's very resourceful and have a lot of experience that I could imagine getting. So, well, thank you so much. I, I, I um, I have a little, um, sponsor that I got to give a shout out to, but I want to thank you so much, Terrence, for being here and uh, you can hang out for a second. And, um, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the HyperGuide motivational podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to, to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you, you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the, the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcasting hosting for free, check it out. So thank you, Juwan, so much. Uh, thank you for the producer, Brian, who is always amazing. And I hope you have a very wonderful holidays. And I hope to see all of you are here, hear you. The next time we'll have another exciting guest on. Thank you so much for your time. Happy holidays. Everybody. Thank you.